I would love it if you preached. Yeah, please do. Oh, uh, well, if you were going to show up, I was going to have you come up here. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'd like to partake. So, <laughs> Joe, Joe and Kate, for I mean, Stephen and Kayla, everyone else really knows them. You can come on up. But Joe and Kate were like leaders in the Crossing Church for a long time and dear friends before that. I met Joe in New Hampshire and Kate in New Hampshire as well, part of You Storm in the Crossing, and they're like, fiery lovers of Jesus. They love Jesus more than anything, and that's so evident in their lives and the way that they live and interact with other people, and I know we've appreciated their friendship for many, many, many years, so um, we're just opening wide the doors here because they're family, number one, and um, we're like, I'm super excited to have Joe share. I feel like I've gotten myself in trouble this I just wish Jay was here, too. You know, it's like, Jay, if you're listening, I'm going to come out here again. Now I'm going to have to come back again and give him a big hug. And there's no question, Jay, if you're listening, that I will be dunking you in the dunk tank. I love you, man. Um, well, I just want to start. Um, we'll just see where this goes because, you know, part of me, I, I just feel like, ah, I don't want to preach. And I don't have anything to say. But. Um, let me, let me start by saying this, um, you know, you, you just sang verbatim, you just sang, if there's one thing I have to say right now, you just sang it in almost in its entirety. My wife said, you have to share this word. Well, so whether I preach or not, I'll share a little, but you just sang a word that I, you know, we've been struck this week, um, you know, and scratching the surface of something in the Lord, you know, on the brink of something in terms of just understanding something on a deeper level and positioning ourselves to embody something on a deeper level in regards to the word of the Lord and the goodness of God, the nature of God, what God is really like, and uh, particularly the goodness of God. But I want to let me just pr- let me just pray because there is there is a battle and there's war and it's really just familiar stuff in the region. And so many people live underneath a spirit of confusion. It's a spirit of confusion. You know, we could say oh, this this land and this region is full of depression and and uh, people with mental illnesses, et cetera. And that may be the case, but there's so much of it is spiritual and there's a battle over even calling that out for what it is. There's a fear that comes, I know, in my own life with announcing that that's what that is. Because if we announce what it really is, it can be dealt with. And the enemy doesn't want us exposing core issues, you know, and the real issue that's at hand that needs to be dealt with. And I am convinced that that's a core issue at hand in this region that is being dealt with. Like it's not a future day. God is doing something about it now, and it has to do with raising up a prophetic ministry and a prophetic culture and a prophetic environment. And by prophetic, I mean a culture of revelation where God is known for who he really is, where God is near to a body of people in a living way. Behold, I was dead, and now I am alive forevermore, and I had the keys of death and Hades. The, the living one, 
who was dead, and he's not anymore. He's alive forevermore, and he has the keys of death in Hades. And we just, we declare that right now. Jesus, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the ruler of all creation, God himself. He's alive forevermore. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that will be realized in this generation. That God has all authority on earth will be realized in this generation. We will see that Jesus is the living one who's no longer dead, but he's alive forevermore. He'll never die, die again. The death he died, he died once for all. He'll never die again. He lives and reigns forever from the throne of God. He rules this earth. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And his throne is the throne of thrones. And we just declare that out. That Jesus' throne is the throne of thrones. That this earth is littered with thrones in every sphere of society. Leadership cultures and, and political cultures and even religious cultures and thrones. But Jesus' throne is the throne of those thrones. And we just declare that out. We have to know that in this time. Because as the rulers of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, we have to have a stand in our hearts. We have to know that Jesus is Lord of Lords. And, and I, just, I just declare peace in this, in this room. In my own mind, we just take authority over every form of confusion in the name of Jesus, we agree with the song that was sung. We break the power of confusion in this room. We rebuke the spirit of heaviness. And we, we release the mantle of praise. The spirit of heaviness. We rebuke the spirit of heaviness. And we declare the mantle of praise in place of that spirit of heaviness. Mouths wide open. Hearts wide open. We we break the spirit of heaviness in Jesus' name. Every form of oppression, everything that's tried to beset and weigh down, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Our portion is a mantle of praise. Because that's the answer. It's, it's revelation. It's songs that declare a truth about God that the Holy Spirit agrees with because he's the spirit of truth. And he carries that song into hearts. And he changes the emotional chemistry of those listening to that song. And that's, that's what's in the room right now this morning. And that's all we have in this day and age. I'm convinced of it. Is we have to have the spirit of truth. The, not the spirit of truths, plurality. Singularity. What, who is Jesus and what is he like? So that when we sing it, the spirit's on it. But Lord, we pray this morning... For the, the, <laughs> the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That every high and lofty thing that has tried to exalt itself against the truth of who you are and what you're like would just come crashing down. In my mind, in our minds, and, and I pray that whatever we, and there's more in the room today, there's more word from some of you in the room today. There's things to be contributed. There's like a well-mixed cup of blessing here. 
And, and if you have something today, you've got to speak it out because it's going forth in the spirit and it does matter no matter how many people are in this room listening to it. It matters spiritually speaking. So, Lord, release your word. And I don't mean to be long winded. You just you tell me if things are going too long. But I just Lord Jesus, we just declare that today. We agree with truth, the truth. You are the way, the truth, the singular truth. You are the truth and the life, Jesus. The spirit of truth, the mind of Christ. The way God thinks, the way God sees, the way God feels. What's your life? Release that truth in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's good. Jesus. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, so... That's the answer is, and, and we know it, <laughs> I'm just saying it, but we know it. We need, we need a culture of revelation where people can walk in and encounter something, where they're struck with something. It says that happened in the early church, you know, that, that unbelievers would walk in and the prophetic spirit was present, the true spirit of prophecy, more than just words of blessing and knowledge, the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what apocalypse means. Revelation, disclosure, the open revelation of the personality of Jesus Christ present in the gathering of his people. And that deals with confusion. That deals with sickness. That deals with disease. That he's present and he's known by a people. So again, when we talk about him and we sing about him, things happen. Anyway, the Lord do it. But... Uh, you know, uh, we've been challenged to begin to take a stand in regards to the goodness of the Lord, to the goodness of God. You know, surely I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see, see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what David said. Surely I would have despaired. I would have had reason to live depressed and beset with heaviness unless I had known something was something more was available for me this side of eternity. You know, I know what it's like to live depressed and afflicted in my mind with a, by a spirit of insanity. You know, there was a time in my life where a spirit of insanity tried to take my life and it lost ground by truth, by revelation. But there there's there's goodness in this life. And I just want to declare that out. And you know that deep down. Yeah. And what you what you shared this morning is was so beautiful because that's the spirit of truth speaking to you. And Jesus said, if you get a hold of that, the truth, you'll be free. If you know by revelation truth, Jesus said it will make you free. And what he means is it'll make you free. It'll make me free, permanent freedom, where I don't go back again for prayer. At some point, I won't go back for prayer again. And that might be tough to believe, but that's the truth. There's lasting and permanent freedom in him. But surely I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see your goodness this side of eternity, in this age, in this world. And... Uh, I want to look at James chapter 1 if we can, because you sang this message. You sang this very message. This is, I was just struck. So I want to look at James chapter 1, 
And uh, it's all week my wife and I have been praying into this, and particularly just midweek, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, we were just so convicted by this. And it was one of those moments, have you ever been in something for a time, and all of a sudden you start to connect with the, the truth that's being set forth, and it convicts you and gives you faith, and all of a sudden it enables you to take a stand on a greater level. And it enables you to do what Wesley is talking about. That's what revelation does. It divides between soul and spirit. Or, I like to put it this way, the spirit of truth divides and allows me to distinguish between what's of me and myself and what's really of God. Between soul and spirit, between that which is self and earthly and natural and that which is truly spiritual and of God. And it allows us to distinguish the two so that we can separate and put off that which is soulish and old, that which came in through the fall of man, and put on the new and walk in what's truly of God. It allows us to be separated from that and no longer live haltering between two opinions. The spirit of confusion. You know, the, the English word um, um, schizophrenic comes from the, the Greek word schizo. And it's right here in James 1. This is shocking. Schizophrenia, to be double-minded, to have two ways of thinking, and one's true and one's not. And they, they, they're mixed, and we live confused, and we don't know which is true because we're so used to thinking both ways, <laughs> you know? Or we're so used to thinking one particular way. But James addresses this in James chapter 1. And, you know, it began in the Garden of Eden. God gave a word to mankind, right? He gave his word to them, his truth, his revelation to them. And the serpent came with another message, a different word, a different message, a different idea, another way of thinking, a, an, a second mindset, and introduced it to Adam and Eve, and they partook of it. In the word shame, the, the first result of, of living in that condition was shame. And that word shame actually means to be put to confusion. That's what it means. It's actually a spirit of confusion. It's double-mindedness, having two minds, two ways of thinking. It's serious. And particularly in relation to the goodness of God, you know? What's God really like? What did he really say? Why is he, is he holding out on me? So I want to read this out. Let's start in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials or temptations. Consider it all joy. That's, <laughs> that's like, okay, sometimes I just put that aside and go in verse 3, right? Because it doesn't make sense to our natural mind. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith, the trying of your faith, produces endurance. 
and let endurance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and here's how I like to interpret verse 2 to 4. This is why we consider the trials and pressures and afflictions of this age all joy. Because we know that in Christ, God is using it for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Regardless of how severe it gets in this age, we know that we are being fathered by God and that God is after something. He's fashioning a heart of gold in us. He's fashioning faith in us that sees him clearly, that believes him at his word, that believes that he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he said he will do. (laughs) Faith. God is dealing with that, that we see and think clearly about him, that we believe in the living God. That's that's another thing we've been standing, saying, God, I don't I believe in you for salvation, but I don't I don't know that I believe you're the living God and that you'll do what you've always done in this day and age or in my life, in my sphere of influence, that God will do the very things he's always done, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, that he hasn't changed. That Jesus has not changed. Acts 1038 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and he went about doing good to all. Think about that. Jesus did good to every human life. Jesus did good to all, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That reality. believe for that we have to believe for that's all that's where I'm at (laughs) we we have to believe for that again God will have people who believe that and walk in that and and we can say the common everyday believer but it's we got to stop differentiating classes of ministry and occupations and roles it's we are believers and these signs should follow us we've got to be provoked to jealousy over that issue that we would have goodness to offer this world, the goodness that he offered, not just being nice to people, not just have a nice day. There's place for that. But I'm talking about we get so far beyond being nice and we become an expression of goodness, of divine benevolence, the scripture calls it, goodness, abundant goodness. And for him, that meant the forgiveness of sins, the saving of souls, the healing of those with with afflictions and diseases. He healed everyone oppressed by the devil. (laughs) That's serious. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, here it is, who gives to all generously and without reproach. The God who gives to all generously and without scorn in the midst of your trials and temptations, right? We can't lose sight that this is God. He's fathering us. 
That's why we consider it all joy. And he gives to all generously and without reproach. He's good all the time. He's benevolent. This is his primary disposition. How do we know? Because he who did not spare his own son, that's how we know. Because God did not withhold Jesus from you. He didn't withhold Jesus from you. He didn't spare his son of the cross, but delivered him over for us all. And therefore, Paul says, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. The God who gives to all generously and without reproach. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. You sang this out. This very verse, you sang it. He must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that they will receive anything from the Lord. And I want to take some time on this. Is, is this too long? Okay. This issue right here was a severe point of confusion for me throughout the majority of my Christian life. Verse 7. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's a place of, had been a place of confusion for me. Because I said, okay, here's what it says. If I have doubt in my heart, if I'm in trial <laughs> and I have doubt in my heart, then, then God's displeased with that because I don't have faith that pleases God. Hebrews 11, chapter 6, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it's possible, impossible to please him, right? So I said, okay, if I've got doubt in my heart in the midst of trial, then I'm displeasing to God and he's withholding from me. That's how I interpreted those seven verses, the majority of my Christian life. And it, and it, and it sounds so true. And, and here's the scary part. In the natural realm and in most of our experience, that makes so much sense. Because in the midst of trial, when we're underneath trial and temptation, and it's severe, and the fire's touching our soul, and we feel we're lacking, and God's holding out on us, and we're in doubt... It all seems to make sense. God's displeased. And therefore, he's not giving me what I'm asking for. And that's not at all what James is saying here. When we doubt, God does not change. He declared through the prophet Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. Paul says in Romans, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. That's what the word faithful and true actually means. That God never changes. His nature is consistent. He's always the same. And therefore he's completely trustworthy. His word is infallible. And his nature is infallible. He's faultless. And he's flawless. He's perfect. What it means is when there's doubt in my heart, I begin to be tossed about by that doubt, like the waves of the sea are tossed about by the wind. 
And therefore, when I doubt, I position myself to be unable in my spirit to receive the generous all that God has to give to me in the midst of my trials, in the midst of those temptations. That's what it means. God doesn't change, I do. My doubt doesn't change God in his nature. My doubt changes me in my nature. And this is where the serpent, New Testament calls him the serpent of old. In other words, the one from the garden, the one who came to slither his way in to humanity's relationship with God the Father and try to find a place, right? He slithers his way in, and at that place, when we have doubts, when we are being tossed, when we don't seem to be accessing God's goodness and his generosity, and we're tempted to say, God, you're holding up. Why are you holding out on me? Where are you? Why aren't you hearing my prayer? Why aren't you answering my prayer? That's the great point of deception for every one of us because it's not what's happening. <laughs> God's not withholding from us. We're shutting our spirit down and prohibiting ourselves from receiving from the Lord and the serpent comes to whisper and we begin to question God and sooner or later that's going to lead to accusing God and holding God accountable for my present condition. That's true confusion. That's a spirit of confusion. That's good, good reason to de be depressed when we think that way, when we live that way. And I know it all too well. <laughs> so that person can't receive from God is what it's saying. God's generous. He's not scorning. And he wants to give what's necessary. He wants to give you your daily portion, your provision. But our spirit is shut down by doubt and confusion about what God is really like in the midst of our trials. So I want to move on to uh, verse 12. Blessed is a man and woman. Oh. Blessed is the person who perseveres underneath trial. For once they have been approved, they will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's an amazing promise. That has been so loud in my spirit in this time. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial and does not lose heart, does not give up. For once they have been approved, they will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when they are tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone that's amazing again he's declaring the image and nature of God to fellow believers in the midst of trial in verse 16 I'm just gonna just for the sake of time verse 16 do not be deceived my beloved brethren every good thing given and every perfect gift. Listen to that. He says, don't be deceived about God and what he's like, his nature, his goodness, his benevolence. Do not be deceived. Do not be double-minded. 
Every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The God who never changes. (laughs) The God who's always good, always benevolent towards us, always abounding in faithfulness. He's unchanging. So good. There's no variation in his nature. He's not up one day, down the next. He does not change. Like shifting shadows. Yeah. I may read one more scripture and then hand it, hand it off. Is this too much? Okay. Let's see here. Let's see. share something else when we have time for it, but I, I want to share something just about this week and what you had said and um, you want me to lay down now? Yeah, it's, uh, I was just thinking for some reason the Lord's been speaking to me about Job the last few days. I watched like a video commentary on Job and I was like rocked by it because the I my whole Christian life I had thought Job was just about a guy who God let Satan like do crazy stuff to him, loses everything and then he gives him double everything at the end of the book or whatever. I'm like, Oh, if you're suffering just read Job, it'll give you hope or something, you know. And it's not about that at all. I've like the last couple days I've been reading it and my whole perspective on it has shifted because it's it's really about three guys and Job, and then the fourth, uh, fifth guy at the towards the end of the book who are going back and forth, but arguing about what they think God is like. Like, oh man, you must have done something wrong, and this is what God is doing to you. Like for thirty chapters, it's just God. It's just these guys talking about, oh, this is how what God is like. He must have done something wrong. This is what's happening to you. And then at the end of the book, um, another guy comes. Oh. the end of the book another guy comes and um, says no you're all wrong God is not like that but he doesn't really like um, expound on much it was just like nope you're all wrong this is not what God's like you can't presume to know anything about what you're talking about and then God comes in and he's like rebukes Job Job. like at the beginning of the book it starts off by saying God Job was the most, like, faithful in all the land. God's speaking to Satan. And he's, uh, like, um, you know, exalting Job. Like, this is, like, the the most faithful man in the entire world. Um, And then he allows him to go through all this. And then he rebukes Job at the end of the book. Like, who the heck are you? 
to like say these things you're 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 saying and like I love some of the stuff he says it's so like I was going man God is snarky man he's like <laughs> he's like who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words get ready to answer me like a man when I question you you will inform me where were you when I established the earth and goes on and on and on about like all this and I'm just thinking like this book is not about Job suffering at all is about we cannot presume to know what God is like when we are suffering. We cannot presume to know, um, or better, um, what Joe said. Like we need to know that God is good through all our sufferings, and that He is um, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His goodness is not necessarily what we think it looks like. God was good to Job, like the whole time he was suffering, like the entire time. In the end, he's like, in love, he's just saying, Job, you do not, you cannot presume to know what it's like to run the entire universe. You have such a small perspective on life, and I know everything from beginning to end. And he's so, it's just like, it just totally kind of rocked me the last couple of days. Like, man, he is so much bigger and has such a greater perspective than we what we have as humans, so... I'm like looking at this book now like, oh man, this is a book about how much I don't know about God. He is so big and his goodness is so much greater and bigger than what we think it is. One thought that came to my mind too. I won't end here unless someone else, you know, has something. Because I was feeling that, like, same what you said. There's like this collectiveness of God speaking, and what's so cool is that because we're so different in the way that we relate to God, the way that we hear God, we're going to see different facets of who He is by different people sharing, and that's why there's such a huge value in having lots of people hearing Him and sharing because we get to see so many different aspects of who he is. Um, but what both of them have shared, um, I was reminded of, many of you know my testimony of sickness, and that was a real testing of my faith, but really testing of what I believed about who God is. you know. And um, I remember I got healed and everything, and I, I had to choose to believe that when God said he's healer, he's healer despite what I'm experiencing. And that's, you know, that can be a challenging thing, especially since I was in pain all the time. But I had to say, well, he said he's healer and he's good and he desires healing for me. So despite whether I experience that right now or not, that's who he is. And he cannot lie. He d he's not a man that he lies. So something's going on here. Uh, maybe I don't fully understand it, but he is who he says he is. And I'm going to believe that. And um, I remember after I had gotten healed, we actually went out with a maybe you were there as well. I'm not sure. We were at Common Man, and our waitress came up to us, and I ended up testifying to her because somehow it came about, and I said to her, you know, God healed me recently of this disease. I was in a wheelchair and blah, 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 because she had cancer or something like that. And she's like, I don't know. She walked away. You could tell she was upset, and she came back, and she's like, well, I don't understand this. Like, how could – you know, such a good God. Everyone says that God's good. Well, then, you know, you were sick. You were in a wheelchair in excruciating pain. 
how do, how's your sickness in the world? How's your, you know, and that, that question that people ask, like, if God's so good, why is all this junk in the world? And I remember sitting there feeling, like, such joy, like, you don't understand. The f- God didn't take us out of the world. When I gave my life to him, I wasn't saying, oh, I'm never going to experience trial anymore. I'm in the world. I'm going to experience the same things you experience. The difference is I have peace in the midst of my trial. I have joy. I have access to full joy, comfort, peace, healing because of who he is. So it's not that I'm escaping a, a difficulty. It's that in my difficulty, I'm grounded and I can can trust. I don't have to fear. I don't have to. My life doesn't fall apart then because of who he is. And I've had him give me that, you know, in his presence. And I think this is like what we're talking about here is like this steadfastness. It does not mean that we escape any trial at all. Like we're in the world. We're in fallen world. It's going to happen. I got sick. God allowed this sickness in my life. And it, it does not change anything about who he is. It wasn't that he was afflicting me because I was bad or hurting me because there was none of that. It was I'm allowing this in your life to test what you know about me. How much are you going to believe that who I am, who I say I am? Are we going to believe he's healer when we're sick and we're not seeing the manifestation of healing? Am I going to believe that he's provider when my bank account is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and I'm saying, no, I you know, this is reality, but this is true. This is who God is, and he supersedes my reality, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to be steadfast in this so that nothing wavers me. The minute I doubt this, the minute I begin to waver and begin to fear about my finances or, or how are we going to pay this or how are we going to do that, it's because I've begun to doubt who he is. Or when I'm in my sickness and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, the pain's still here, and oh, maybe he maybe he has forgotten about me. Why hasn't he healed me? The doubt comes in, and it begins to cause me to waver, but it's because I've doubted who he is. Because when I fixed my eyes on who he is, like he is healer, even in my sickness, I had peace, which was profound because I was, you know, dipping in and out of depression because of how long it was. But every time I fixed my eyes, reminded myself who he is, I had peace. I could have joy. I could be at rest and know he's got this. And if he's got this, I know I'm going to be okay. And that's the same for any area in our lives. And I think we have to, you know, it's kind of easy to see those things. If I'm starting to fear or worry about this, that, or the other thing, what that's showing me is that I'm doubting that part of who he is. And we need to reinforce, no, remind ourselves, this is true. This is who he is. He does not change. He didn't all of a sudden become angry and start afflicting me or cutting my finances off. If he allowed that to happen, it's so that I would grow in my faith in who he is, which is a a blessing. It's a blessing. Anyway, uh, now I could go forever, so I'm going to stop. what you said about like sharing the different experiences and and we all have we bring something to the table our experience with God and and, um, so you when you were sick you already had this 
your beliefs um, and that's what that would be so for me on October 13th or October 11th 2013 um, was the worst day of my life it was the day my six-month-old son passed away. I wasn't there when it happened. I received a phone call. And I didn't have the faith that you had. Um, so I didn't have that. I had nothing. <laughs> I had nothing. I had anger. Um, I had frustration. I had confusion. I, I couldn't understand why because I thought what I had learned about God was that he was good. Um, and then he took my baby from me. And I just, I held on to this bitterness and this um, this opinion of God because people would come up to me and, and in, you know, their, their good nature and their good intentions, they'd say, well, God just needed another angel and he needed a son and <laughs> there wasn't any comfort in that. And I was so angry for four or five years and... Um, God used an unplanned, well, no, I have to say it was planned, but unplanned in my head, like I had no clue what I was signing up for when I got pregnant with my, my youngest, and um, and it was about halfway through the pregnancy, and the doctors, um, they noticed something in the blood, um, it's called, uh, it's where the body treats the pregnancy as an infection, um, my blood tells the baby negative, and it's, anyways, um, they started saying, you know, worst case scenario, I could lose Lily. You know, the baby was going to die. And I just felt like, are you kidding me? You took one one baby from me. How could, how could you take another? I don't understand. Like, what is good about you? And I was going to a, a faith-based pregnancy center, and I remembered um, – I remember walking in and telling the woman, you know, I'm here for the lessons. I'm not here to talk about God. Just I need the lessons. And she's like, okay, that's fine. You can do that. And then God would, like, follow me, you know, as I as I would go about my week. And he would follow me. And um, I worked at Family Dollar at the time. And I'd have these people with these heart-wrenching stories. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, that was weird that I just said that. Um, and it's just every week God would work on my heart. But I just remember when the doctor said that, you know, fetal death, like something in me was like, okay, <laughs> if you let me keep this one, I may consider talking to you again. And I remember um, us praying, me and the woman, we prayed. And it was such a simple prayer. She's like, God, just, you know, heal the bad things in the blood, da 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 And um, I remember feeling like that probably wouldn't do anything. This is God, and if he's made up his mind that he wants this baby too, then I'm, like, I'm done. But I went to the doctor, uh, a few weeks passed, and it was, it was really hard because I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, in between that time, there was, like, ultrasounds that they did. And they were, like, really keeping an eye on it. And um, the next time that I went, after them being so concerned, I was sitting there, and I'm like, well, what about the test results? Are you going to tell me? Uh, oh, yeah, that cleared up on its own, I guess. So I And I remember thinking, wow, that's the power of prayer. And, um, and I just felt like, I don't know, something in me just knew that God had heard me. 
And I don't remember when it was in my journey. I think it was when Lily was six months old, having just had this fear that I was going to lose her too because it was the same age. And I just remember saying, please don't take her from me. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. And I know I heard him say, you're begging me not to take this child when I never even took the first. And that, that, that moment was when I saw God differently and I realized that I'd been angry at him this whole time and he, it wasn't his fault. And the whole time he was trying to get me to turn to him. He was trying to get me to see him, but he was right there the whole time. And I look back now and he's done so much healing. Um, I just, I just have to share this. It was last year, on the the day before the anniversary of his passing, um, I, I just knew, I knew I had to, to really put myself in the middle of my grief because I had been avoiding it. I had been like, kind of dipping in and then dipping out and I really just had so much pain in me that needed to come out and I had a box of his belongings and I was reading a letter that I wrote to him that I never finished and um, the the song that was playing at the memorial service that day was uh, You Raise Me Up and I, I never really listened to the lyrics but I did that night and it, it clicked that, you know, right in the midst of all my pain, God was there, and he was trying to get me to hear him, and and the lyrics are, um, you raise me up so I can stand on mountains, you raise me up to, um, to walk in stormy seas, I am strong when I am on your shoulders, you raise me up to more than I can do, and I felt in that moment, I felt like I understood that he was trying to tell me he was there, if I hadn't been in the middle of my pain, if I hadn't actually let myself feel what I was feeling, I wouldn't have been given the gift of um, the, the vision where God allowed me to see my son. I was, I was, I had finished reading the letter and I was sobbing and I, I started having this vision where I was back in the, um, the memorial the, the funeral home, and Jesus was standing on at the side door, and he was waiting for me, and uh, the casket where my son was, was empty, of course, um, but he just held out his hand, and I danced around him. He wasn't dancing with me, but I was using him to sturdy myself, and I was using the casket, and it was doing all these moves, and I can't really do, um, <laughs> but... In the, in the next part of the vision, um, my son, who would be six on April 21st, uh, in this vision, down the hallway, uh, he came running towards me, and um, I picked him up, and I spun him around, and, and I, like, he caressed my face, and, and we danced, and, like, to me, and I, and I, I, I asked God, I'm like, why, like, you didn't have to do that, you know? okay and he just said because I love you just because I love you because I love you and like I just really feel like that's the picture of the goodness of God I was so angry I turned my back on him for five years and he not for a single moment he knew 
he knew that I would come back and he knew that I would have moments in my pain where I would doubt and I would question, but ultimately the gift that he gave me is that I got to see my son again. I can hold on to that and I can hold on to knowing that I have to remind myself that I've been through way worse than just depression that doesn't really have a reason behind it. And I just, I've been through worse. So I can remember that greater is he living in me. And I can remember that I do know how to stand on on solid foundation. And that's, I just really felt like I needed to share that. That's my experience of God's goodness. compared to that was amazing um just from this because again this is what Jill was speaking on um I was in counseling with the Lord yesterday and just another perspective on his goodness um through this scripture because of the scripture says that this is our trial and that's you know trial in each of our lives looks differently but always brings us to that same place of it always humbles us to the place of, you know, what do we believe about God and who is he to us? And um, for for us, but I think to me in my own way, um, trial for me in the last um, six years or whatever that was um, has been is, you know, even increased fertility for us and our ability to have children. And, um, and I saw clearly as we were in this scripture, my... Um, of us were in conversation last night about works based uh, you know we push boundaries of before the Lord and trying to earn from him and I saw clearly my works based mentality of earning even things that he's promised and things that he's um, spoken and even his goodness and um, the way that I felt about the Lord before before just this simple revelation was him like holding a carrot and dangling it in front of you and how you perform or how you meet his expectations is whether you get you know you get a little promise or you get a little bite of the carrot and um and then in moments when you fall short or when there's opportunity for shame or condemnation um you don't you know the carrot still doesn't fall and um just in a time with him yesterday i just saw that clearly and began to repent of how how wrong I perceived his workings that I've seen him as he you know where it speaks of that he's not he doesn't change like shift and shadows he's not sometimes so slow other times backstabbing um but he's right there you know generously and ready to give us all good things and that that you know Jill spoke on this and highlighted on it but I saw it in that works based that when I'm not performing and I'm the one falling off and I'm the one who's you know, not in a position to receive the good gifts that he has for us. And, um, you know, he he did speak from the garden, but another thing that we had been talking about was the two trees in the garden and that, that what Satan did with Adam and Eve was point to the tree they weren't to have and say, you know, question God's nature and say, you know, he said you could have this one, but he said you couldn't have this one. And yet God said to Adam and Eve, this one is the best one for you. So he had already offered them the best, 
and they listened to the enemy and believed he's holding out on us. There's something over here that's not over here. And, you know, he just wanted them to choose out of their free will to obey him and to love him. And, you know, so whatever, however that organizes, I just found so much opportunity to repent and really just, you know, see him clearly that he's not holding out anything from me. And that, you know, whatever his timing is and whatever the unfolding of you know, what trial leads to the development of character and endurance and steadfastness and who we are becoming in him. The scripture in James goes on, the same chapter goes on to um, the portion that talks about, you know, when we look in a mirror and then we walk away and we forget what we look like. You know, even that, like as we, as we're transformed by faith, Hebrews 11, 6 says that we must first believe who he is, and then he rewards those who diligently seek him. But it all comes from really believing who he is and not questioning and not wavering back and forth. And um, so standing in the mirror, we don't forget who we are when we've been made to look like him. And so, okay. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. That helps. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned Job, and it had some had some thoughts that came to mind. But um, look at Job; he quoted a lot of God's words, and some people who didn't really know God and walked through him. So oftentimes, before you come to know God, you know, um, and maybe you read that book, you lost some of those uh, what what got lost was the repentance and acknowledging the truth. So um, you know, and then uh, when you do come to know Him. And, and then, again, you focus on the truth of that. You know, we can uh, have a, a relationship with him through the letter of the Hebrews where it says we, we don't have to focus on, on what we've gone through, but we have to have trials where we can have opportunity, opportunities to grow and start to become more Christ-like. we love you so much father thank you so much for redirecting the service today lord within the worship and in the word god we say that you are faithful father we just ask that the seeds that were planted today would just grow further father than our expectations father god i ask that your nature would just um just bloom out o over us father in this week and today god and as we go forth from here father we just speak blessings over each individual family for jesus name